Heather Weber is drawn to the magic side of life with mysteries that reflect southern charm, food, family, and a very light dusting of the supernatural. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series. So you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and on Binge Reading today, Heather talks about her magical mysteries, including one called Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe, inspired by a Beatles hit. I bet you can't guess which one. As usual, we've got great free book giveaway offer, more than 60 historical fiction books called Escape into History. It's a great selection to choose from, a very wide range of time periods and locations. Links for accessing this offer can be found on the Joys of Binge Reading website show notes for this episode. It closes April 26. And don't forget, you can get exclusive bonus content like hearing Heather's answers to the five quickfire questions by becoming a binge reading on Patreon supporter for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee a month. Details of that on our episode show notes as well at patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. But now here's Heather. Hello there, Heather, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Look, you've got a terrific um, history of publishing. You've got more than 30 books published and and several Agatha Award nominations for uh, Excellence with Mysteries. Your most recent books are set in the South with charm, food, family and magic, all part of their ingredients. The most recent one is Lights of Sugarberry Cove, and we're going to be talking primarily about that one today. You live in Ohio, so where does your fascination with the South come from? Yeah, I've been in Ohio for about 27 years now, but my first trip to Alabama was in 2007. I went down there for a book conference in Birmingham, and they had a sister event down in Wetumpka, which is further south. I had to rent a car and somewhere on that hour and a half drive between the two towns, I I fell in love with with Alabama. There was something, it's like I could feel it. There was something in the air, the history, the magic, the energy of the land, and it felt oddly like home. And it was such an overpowering feeling that, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I knew that if I couldn't live down there, then I could write books down there and I couldn't live down there because my husband's work was up here and he was a primary breadwinner at the time. And I am so happy to be able to go back now on these books. I wrote a series, a mystery series is Heather Blake that takes place in Northern Alabama. But with these other books, the standalone novels, I've been able to kind of travel around the state a little bit, which I love. That's fantastic. Now, I guess you'd call them magic realism because each of these standalones has some underlying slightly 
spiritual or supernatural thing going on. It's not heavy-handed, but it's there. And I wondered what drew you to that magical side of life as well. There's a there's a Roald Dahl quote that says something like, if you don't believe in magic, you'll never see it. And I see it. I'm always looking for it. I love writing magical stories. And like you said, my magic isn't heavy-handed. Sometimes it gets a little heavy-handed, but for the most part, it is not. And I love the creativity it gives me too and able to be able to write these kinds of novels. Like who would ever think that you would have somebody who can't feel pain or a loon on a lake that may be a person, but maybe not a person. So there's, I kind of love playing with the ideas of the what ifs. What if we did this? What if we did that? And the roads those lead me down are kind of fun. Yes, you very much draw on the magic of natural surroundings. You mentioned the loon on the lake. And there's that sense of the creative realm of nature having something to tell us that we might be a bit blind or deaf to. Yeah, I feel like if we're going to find magic anywhere, it's going to come from nature. I just feel I I am especially moved by nature. I see magic in the veins of a leaf, in the bark of a tree in the way a hummingbird's wings just flutter. To me, those are kind of all magical things that are just stunning if you really stop and think about it. And those that's the kind of magic I like to draw into my books. So for the standalones, for a, you know Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe, I had blackbirds as the primary magical source. In South of the Buttonwood Tree, I had a magical tree. I had wind that was magical. In the lights of Sugarberry Cove, we had the lake and the loon and kind of, you know, magic that happens within your own body. And then we have, with my next book that comes out this summer, I have a magical garden. So, you know, I love, I just love drawing nature into my stories. Yes, that's wonderful. So the lights of Sugarberry Cove, it tells the story of two sisters, both of whom are estranged from their mother from quite an early age and they're drawn back home because she has a health episode that makes them run back home to her side. It's not as if they kind of hate her, but there is a certain estrangement there. And I wondered if those family relationships also were part of the mix, very important. Yes, definitely. These are really uh, stories. Each of the standalones have two main characters and family and love and loss all play a big role in these stories. Um, I just feel like families are a great place to draw from. You know, you get your, you you have your mysterious side of them. You know, you have your disagreements. You have the, but the, you know, the foundation of love is usually always there. Yes, um, yeah. I, I like playing with those themes. And Sadie in Sugarberry, she nearly drowns at her at college age and she's now quite a bit older. But that incident where the near drowning incident has haunted her because she has that survivor guilt almost, not that anybody else was threatened in that incident, but she questions why was she saved? Why is she still here seeking her purpose in life? And when the book opens, she still hasn't really had any final answers to that story. Do you think that's something that's important to us too, that seeking of a purpose? I think so. and. When I started writing this book, this book in particular, in my head, I had just the question on almost every chapter, what is the meaning of life? 
that was kind of, even with all the characters, even the different characters within the story, not just Sadie, what is the meaning of life? And I was writing this book during the start of the pandemic. So there was a whole bunch of grief and loss and just shock almost at what the world was going through that it was, I was just surrounded by it and like everybody else. And what is the meaning of life? And I really tried to get that through in this book that, you know, the meaning of life is to live it. And, you know, and you should live it every day, not just when tragedy strikes. So, I mean, I hope that came across to the readers who read the book that they came out with that in the back of their head, but it was a tough time to write a book. Yes. Sadie's near-death experience, you've referred to the fact of no pain. After that experience, she doesn't experience physical pain. She heals abnormally fast. Mm. And when she has certain developments through the book that make her more emotionally whole again, she actually then experiences a reversal of those conditions. It's almost like she's been numbed a little bit at a very deep level. So I thought it was also interesting the way that her physical state is reflected in her emotional and psychological health as well. They definitely went hand in hand in the story. She had to learn certain, she had to heal. She had to heal certain things within herself to be able to heal herself outwardly. And you would think being able to self-heal yourself or not feel pain would be wonderful. But to people, or, you know, I'm, you know, I know there are people out in the world with conditions like this. I'm sure that they would love to feel a little bit of pain just because it's so unusual. Yes, and I guess it also, you would have to also conclude a little bit that if you can't feel pain, then possibly your joy is a bit muted as well. Yeah. I think, again, they go hand in hand, these kind of pain and pleasure. And, you know, there's there's a line in the book, you can't feel the bitter with it. Wait, you can't taste What? How do I say that? No, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> you can't enjoy the bitter without the sweet or the sweet yes. without the bitter. Yes. Um, yeah. They go together. They just go together. And or you don't appreciate the sweet unless you've tasted the bitter. Yes. So that's kind of what she's she went through in this story. Yes. Now, you mentioned one of the other books. This is a standalone series of four books at the moment, I think, isn't it? And, and there's a yeah. fifth one coming out later on this year. But one of those has been a highly successful one, The Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe. You mentioned about how that was inspired by the Beatles song, Blackbird. Tell us a bit about how that book came to be written and and imagined. So in 2014, I was writing two mystery series a year. So I really didn't have a ton of time to write anything else. But we had gotten a streaming service for music and we had added to our playlist. And then the streaming service suggested the song Blackbird. And I had never heard it before. And I became obsessed with that song. I played it over and over and over again. I'm still slightly obsessed with that song. There's When that kind of thing happens to me, when I fixate on something like that, I know my writer brain knows that there's a story there. And so I got to thinking about blackbirds and there's lyrics in that song that say, blackbird singing in the dead of night take these broken wings and learn to fly. And I just kept going over and over. And then I I got to thinking about all the different ways people can be broken, whether it's from grief or a job loss or a divorce. 
and things like that. And it kind of just tumbled into this story in my head, but I didn't have time to write it. I was under contract for other books and for a couple of years ahead of time. But in 2017, the publishing world took a little change and I was suddenly out of contract. And I knew I could write another mystery series if I wanted, but I really kept thinking about those blackbirds and what to do with them. And um, I decided that if there was ever a time in my career to take a leap of faith and do something else, that was the time. So I took a leap of faith and left the mystery genre behind. And thankfully, it flew. <laughs> thankfully, I flew. Um, so, so I was able to write Blackbird and it sold and it's doing so well. And I'm so grateful for it. Yes. Was that, did you indie publish that or did you find another publisher? It's the same publisher I have now. Oh, I see. Um, you just changed. Forge the Books. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you mentioned those mystery series. They both sound really interesting. The Lucy Valentine series mixes clever romance and wildly inventive mystery. And Lucy is a smart single who's so unqualified to run a matchmaking business, but that's obviously what she ends up doing. Now, where did that one come from? Oh, I love Lucy. Uh, And she's still one of my most popular series. Um, So Lucy was born into a psychic matchmaking family. Everybody in her family can see auras around people and they match people based on their aura color. So if you have a blue aura, you match with a blue aura, that kind of thing. But a a strange twist of fate happened to her in her teens where she lost her ability to see colors, but she gained the ability to find lost objects. And she thought for a long time that was, you know, pretty useless. Like, yeah, it's fine. If you lose your wallet, she can find it for you. But again, it kind of goes back to the meaning of life. Maybe this has been a theme in all my books. I don't know now. She wanted a a bigger purpose for, for her gift. And when she sees a story in the news about a lost little boy in the woods, she wonders if she can make a difference that way. And so she ends up helping to find that little boy and joining up with the state police to solve crimes using, to solve missing persons cases using her gift. So she's not quite in the matchmaking world, but she does use the matchmaking business to find lost loves. So. Oh, gosh, oh, that's, yeah. that's really fun. And yeah. then the other one, the other series that you have, the Nina Quinn series, that also, I mean, I'm a gardener, so that really appealed to me. Yeah. She's a landscape gardener, but the only thing that's thriving in her life is the gardens. All the rest around <laughs> her is <laughs> not doing so well. Tell us about that. Did that precede Lucy or was it after Lucy? It did. It preceded Lucy. So, but it wasn't my first series. My first series was a set, it was a trilogy of historical romances. But I realized as I was writing the historical romances, that I put so much mystery in them that my heart was really with the mystery world. And I kind of switched gears and started writing mysteries with a little bit of romance in them. Yes. Um, So there was five traditionally published Nina Quinn books, and I have self-published two more, and a third is almost done. I've been working on it for about five years now. She just kept getting pushed by the wayside. I'm sorry, Nina. (laughs) And then I started the Lucy Valentine series. There's five of those. And then I also write as Heather Blake. I have several witch witch series. They're lovable, you know, funny witches. Um, and I have two series of that. And then I, that's after those series is when I made the jump to writing the standalones. 
the standalones combine all of that. They combine the romance and the mystery and the magic all. And, and I'm really able to explore the emotional journeys of my characters a lot more, which is makes me really happy. So is there a difference in the way that you approach writing those to writing the mysteries? Not not so much in terms of plotting, but in terms of wrapping up the book. Because with the series, you always kind of leave something a little bit open-ended to carry it through to the next to not, to next book. Sometimes it's a big cliffhanger and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just this thread that kind of ties all the books together. And you don't have that in a standalone. You, ha- you have to wrap it all up by the end of the book. And I struggled with that at first with Blackbird. But luckily I had a great editor and she just, she kind of guided me to get the word countdown because I just kept adding and I'm like, I have to get to the end and get to the end. And, but it all worked out in the end. That's great. I read somewhere that you played the flute when you were uh, perhaps younger. Did you ever try to play Blackbird on the flute? No, I had never heard of the song until I was, ah, you know, yeah. until 2014. But yeah, my flute days are long over. <laughs> I'm quite I still amazed. have it though. It's in the basement. I can't seem to let go of it, but I don't know how to play when it When was anymore. the last time you, you've blew in it? Oh, it was probably a good 10 years ago, just to <laughs> see if I could remember scales. And I think I remembered about two notes of them. I'm like, how did I do this for so many years? I don't know. <laughs> Blackbird was a song that I grew up with from my adolescence. So it seems amazing to me that somebody would not have heard of it until quite recently. It is a very young sort of, it, it's a haunting song, isn't it? It really yes. haunts you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Turning away from talking about the specific books to to a little bit more about you and your career, before you became a full-time writer, did you have any other work and life experience that fed into the books or did you more or less start writing straight from when you were, you know, a young young person? I didn't have any aspirations to be a writer when I was younger. I have so many writing friends and authors that you know, they wrote their first book when they were five. You know, they have all these stories. They still have them. I'm like, no, I wanted to be a medical examiner, a coroner when I grew up. And because I loved, I don't know if they have the show Quincy M.E. uh, down in New Zealand, but up here it was a popular show featuring a coroner. And um, I really, you know, it's old now, but I uh, really loved that show. I used to watch it every day after school. And I thought, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. Well, you know, it took one biology class where we were supposed to dissect a cat where I was like, no, no, uh, people were okay, but you know, animals were off limits. So, you know, I was destined to write some cozy mysteries, but I, so I didn't, I, you know, when I started writing, I was 25 and I had three little kids at home. My youngest was two and I found that I could sit her in front of Cinderella for, you know, about 72 minutes or so and get some writing done or during her naps. And um, it was a dream that led me to writing. It was it was a little literal dream. I had woken up one night with this entire plot line in my head. And I told my husband, I said, I had this amazing dream. I had I can see all the characters. I, could, I know what happens throughout the whole story. And I said, it would be a great movie. And then I said, no, no, it has to be a book because there was just too much there. And he looked at me and said, why don't you write it? I didn't have any writing experience. You know, I love to read, but I didn't have a background in writing. But I think I was young enough and naive enough. And I had this burning story in my head that I had to get it out. So I was like, okay, all right, I'll do that. 
And I wrote it. I wrote it. It was 460 pages of, it was family and love and loss and a little bit of magic. Seems, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I sent that off to editors and agents and I got rejected across the board. And so I gave myself five years. I said, okay, so that book's not going to work. It's up in my closet collecting dust. Um, where it still remains to this day because I can't seem to get rid of it because I love it. But I gave myself five years to get published. I figured that was enough time to really learn the craft of writing, which, you know, it really is not long enough to learn the craft of writing. That's a lifelong process. But it gave me a foundation to do that, to learn the ins and outs of publishing, how to format a novel, that kind of thing. I wrote probably five or six books in that time, and it wasn't until six months before my deadline that I got the call that I was going to be published. So I really cut it close. That's fantastic. And all that time, you were also a full-time mum. Yeah. That really takes some dedication to keep going when you've got so much else. You could make excuses that you just didn't have time and that kind of thing. I guess that it might have been a bit tempting sometimes to, to do that. Sometimes it's still tempting, let me tell you. <laughs> but they, I think because I gave myself that timeline, that was the key for me. I gave myself five years and I was going to see that through, even during those times where I wanted to quit. That's what really pushed me through. That's great because the next question I was going to ask you, and it's one that I ask everybody really, is what do you credit with the quote secret of your success? Perhaps that's it. But what do you think it was that that is quotes your secret? I mean, I know that it's not necessarily a secret, but the key thing that made you keep going or saw you see it through to the end. It's truly just persistence. With the yeah. when those first rejections came in, I it's a little bit of stubbornness too, actually. When those first rejections came in. You know, I was just so upset by them, even though it is a business and you have to learn that it is a business and it's not personal. And when your writing is rejected, I kind of got a little chip on my shoulder. I will do this. I can do this. I know I can do this. I want to to do this. And that's a big thing is the wanting to do it. How badly you want something kind of drives how much work you're willing to put into it. Yeah. Yeah. Persist persistence is really key. We're taking a quick break. We'll be back with Heather Weber shortly. Dangerous Desires, book 10 in the Year of Gold and Blood historical mystery series is available at the special launch price of $1.99 for a limited time. It's set in the colourful California of the 1870s and it can be read as a standalone novel or as the final in the series. Get it at the special launch price. Enjoy page-turning suspense and beat the odds romance. And now we're back with Heather Weber. When you're not working, in those days, I guess a lot of your time was spent working in one way or another, <laughs> but when you're not working, how do you like to relax? What's your choice of leisure? My biggest relaxation is probably baking, uh-huh. um, followed by crochet. And of course, I love to read. Yeah. Actually, that was one other thing because your books are also full of food and you do put some recipes into your books, don't you? Yeah. The recipes aren't so much in the books as they're referenced in the books. I have on different sites that they're they're kind of go along with the book, the recipe yeah. cards that yeah. For, yeah. for promotional uh, things. But yeah, I love baking. Baking yeah. makes me happy. 
baking makes other people happy uh, when they get to eat it. And I, to me, there's a little bit of, again, I, you know how I look for magic and everything. There's a little bit of magic in baking to me, the chemistry of it, where you have this afternoon, I made brownies and you have chocolate and flour and butter and sugar and you mix it all together and you get this fudgy goodness. And it's just like, that's, a, that's magic. That's <laughs> just magic. That's lovely. Look, we, we are starting to come to the end of our time. And this is the joys of binge reading. So we do always like to ask our authors what they like to read and the things that they're reading at the moment that they might like to recommend to others. So what do you like to read? You know, I kind of like to read the things I kind of like to write. And I think that's because I write the kinds of things I want to read. So there is a lot of magical realism and heartwarming emotional stories and some mysteries and some rom-coms. And when I like to mix it up, I switch to nonfiction for a little bit. I just am reading the Beatles lyrics book right now, which is, you know, I just love all that background information. And for a recommendation, I, it's a book that comes out in a couple of weeks, actually. It's, I was able to read an early copy of it and I just, I love it. And I hope that readers all over find it. It's called Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. And it is just, it is such a heartwarming, uplifting book and full of, you know, friends and family and the friends that become family and food, of course. And it's just, it's a wonderful story. Is there a book that's really influenced your life or your writing? Hmm. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. Not one in particular, but yeah. all books. I feel like I, I'm kind of, the books I tend to love are books that kind of speak to me in some way that either have taught me something or have, you know, agreed with something I feel like inside, like, oh yeah, I think that too. And kind of the ones that make you give me the warm and fuzzy feeling that, you know, you've just spent time with friends. Yes. Um, I, yes. And I love that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Looking back down the tunnel of time, if you were doing your writing career all over again, is there anything you would change? Oh, this is a tough one because I feel like every step I've taken has led me to where I am and I'm happy where I am right now. But if I had to choose, I would say I, I would tell myself to have taken that leap of faith maybe just a little bit earlier than I did of switching genres. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you'd go to the standalone family emotional magic realism and, and drop the history series a little bit. Yeah, the just uh, the mystery series, yeah, because I'm... But again, the mystery series are help, helped me to see what I really wanted to write. Yes. So they yeah. all kind of go hand, hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. So what's next for Heather as writer? Over your next 12 months, what are you looking at to produce it from your keyboard? <laughs> well, I have a book coming out in July in the middle of Hickory Lane about um, two women who get lessons, life lessons from a magical garden, which I'm excited about. I love that story. And I'm currently writing the book that will be out in 2023. Uh, which is due later this year. And once I turn that in, I'll have to start the book that comes out in 2024. So, yeah, you know, which seems crazy. Like 2024, I can't even believe I'm already thinking about that. But yeah, I am. You, do you jot down ideas as you go thinking, oh, this might be something 
Yes. Later on. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have notebooks full. I have the note section on my iPhone is full of ideas. And so when I'm ready to write a story, to propose a story to my editor, I kind of pull threads from all of those ideas and forge them into one plot. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I'm sure you like interacting with your readers. How can they find you online? And what, how do you go about that? Especially, especially in this time of COVID where you can't do quite so much personal right. interaction. Yeah. So my website, first and foremost, is heatherweber.com. And then I'm on Facebook, Heather Weber Books. And Instagram is Books by Heather. And Twitter is Books by Heather as well, but I'm not usually on Twitter so much. There's lots of great ways to keep up with me. And I love, I love interacting with my readers. So I'm happy to see new faces. Excellent, Heather. We'll have all of those social media links on the show notes for this episode. So people will be able to find you without any difficulty. That's wonderful to have you on. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. Those are some great questions. Next week on Binge Reading, we have best-selling and award-winning romantic suspense author Lynette Eason and her new Extreme Measures series, high-octane tales of close calls, narrow escapes, and the fight to bring a nefarious criminal to justice. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss future episodes. And if you'd like to go that little extra mile, then offer us support by checking in on Binge Reading on Patreon. That's where you'll find entertaining extra bonus content and Heather's answers to the five quickfire questions. That's it for now. Happy reading and see you next time.